Uh, before we go into Q and A, um, or, or maybe Pastor Billy, what do you do? You think I should begin with um, that testimony, or maybe just end with it? Yeah. Yeah, like what's an example of prophecy in the church? So if you haven't been here when that's happened, you may be wondering what, what could that look like or something. Um, or Eric, do you have any examples you want to share of when you've observed it happen? <laughs> okay. Yeah, because I can, I can read mine from, um, I mean, I can, there are lots of examples, but this one is written down. Um, I wrote, I wrote this down as a, it's, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it just would take too long because um, it's five pages. But I think I can just read sections of it so you can have a, have a sense of... Uh, okay. Um, it, I'm, I'm going to give some background to this. So uh, <clears throat> I'm in Pastors College. It's April. Uh, Pastors College ends in May. Um, and we're at the time of this meeting that we had... It was uncertain if our church would be able to take us back on staff, take me back on staff, or take me back to come on staff for the first time. In fact, it was looking more and more like they would not be able to do that. I had never been in full-time ministry before coming to the pastor's college, but I'd felt called to ministry at the age of 13. I did almost everything I knew to prepare myself for that calling. I worked and served and volunteered and got a job that would let me do these things, but my church was never in a position financially to take me on. In the meantime, I was experiencing a growing burden for my home city of New Orleans. Leaving Midland, Texas and moving to Maryland for a year seemed like it might be a first step in finding a place somewhere in ministry. Because of my heart for New Orleans, we, including my pastor, were hoping that the church in New Orleans, which I grew up in, might be able to take me back on staff as an intern since there was a need there and since I had a heart for that city. Around the time of the prophecy team's visit, so this was a, a meeting where a team of people who uh, had prophetic giftings um, came and they, they didn't know anything about us, but they had been praying for us beforehand and just seeking the Lord um, and and came with, came to just encourage us. Um, at that time, we had just found out that not only could my own church not take us back, which by the way, the church here did end up taking us back, but we'll get to that. Um, neither could the church in New Orleans. And their reason was less financially related, like ours was in Midland, but more related to just not feeling led to do that. Um, in addition to all this, we had been struggling with infertility and seeing a specialist for it for almost four years. Although we were open with this church, with this in our church in Midland, not many people knew how to respond or how to extend care, um, with the exception of our pastor. As a result, we often felt alone, even abandoned in our struggle. We wrestled with why the Lord would give us such a strong desire for children and pregnancy without granting us that desire. That struggle in April of 2010 became, really became difficult when it started looking like the same thing was happening with the God-given desire for ministry. Why would God not fulfill that desire? Why would he let us go on for 17 years without granting that desire? And if that's his chosen course for the call to ministry, is that what he's going to do with the call to bear children? The very thought of that pushed us to utter despair. There is no way we could take this for another 13 years or more. So there we were coming into this meeting, not expecting some magical revelation of God's will, but just not expecting much. 
God had been silent for so long, almost felt cruel in some ways. We could relate to the psalmist feeling like God had abandoned him while he's busy prospering everyone else. So that's where we found ourselves going into this meeting. Um, surprisingly, we were the one couple that the team felt led to bring forward and provide words of encouragement to. Well, this was a big start. The only way I could describe what followed was an overwhelming sense of God's love for me and his voice saying, I have not forgotten you or abandoned you. I've seen everything up to this point as well as the future, and I'm using all of it as part of my plan for you. I knew about God's love, but in that time, I experienced a personal, intimate love of the Father for even me, such as I had never experienced before. I would say about 25% of what was shared was not accurate, um, and I, I can explain that if you want. Um, it wasn't like outside the vertical dotted lines, just didn't pertain. Um, but the rest was stunningly accurate. The overall message was that the Lord would use me for his kingdom and has a plan for us. The words were specifically related to issues of calling and ministry, as well as to pregnancy and bearing children. My wife was very much ministered to and felt loved and cared for by the Father as well. A few days later, at Together for the Gospel, I let my pastor, Pastor Billy, hear the recorded portion so he could see what took place. And I sat there in a very expensive restaurant with an earbud in my ear and an earbud in his ear, weeping as I recalled the overwhelming sense of God's specific love and care for me and my family. It was exactly what we needed in that season of our lives. Now, as I'm I'm writing this, um, you know, this was a testimony written shortly thereafter. So today, not today, but when I wrote it, I, I sit in my office at my church in Midland, Texas, and have just completed a one-year internship. Somehow in faith, the, Lord, the church was willing to take me on part-time as an intern. And although our church is small, the Lord's provided funds to keep me on part-time. It's a testimony that God is able to do the impossible. He has granted the gift to serve him vocationally, something I've waited a very long time for. Every day, I still get amazed at the fact that I'm really doing it. I'm here. I'm on staff. I'm caring for people, preaching, doing admin, serving the body, discipling, leading worship, working through complicated issues, trying to serve my pastor in any way I can. And I absolutely love it. Over the last year, the Lord has also given me a great contentment in doing exactly what I'm doing. He's given me a heart for this city, Midland, and a desire to be here and to be all here for this church and these people. My desire for church planning is certainly still there, but for the first time, it's able to exist side by side with a contentment in the place and role that God has for me right now. I have no doubt this is exactly where the Lord wants me right now. As Dr. Duguid, Ian Duguid taught in one of our pastor's college classes, as Dr. Duguid so aptly taught us in his class, there is no B-track with God. It no longer feels like being an intern in Midland, Texas is God's second best since he couldn't get me something somewhere else. Shame on me for thinking that way. All of this transformation began around the time of the prophetic ministry and in some ways reflects the content of some of those prophecies. Um, so I've, I've kind of broken down um, the things that, that were said. Um, so I'm just going to hit some of these because it's, it's long. Um, I want you to hear this one. Wait. Um, yeah. That, now, we had never thought of embryo adoption until 2012 or something. So this is before that. Um, we Again, we had been seeing a fertility specialist uh, for about four years and uh, to, to no success. Never had a positive pregnancy test. Um, these people don't know anything about us. 
all they had was a list of names. They know nothing about us. And this lady, uh, Ramona, was sharing. So here's some of the things she said um, to Danette. Sister, you're a woman given to adoption. God has put the children in your heart very deeply. You've always cared for them, but there will be many little faces looking up at you, and they don't all look like you. But the Lord has brought you to mother over this brood. And uh, you, if you know our story, you know the Lord is, has answered that. So in that sense, there was a, a future predictive sense of that. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of, a lot of specific things. Uh, you and your husband are, are already like a father and mother over a house. Um, we had been youth leading our youth ministry for about 10 years, constantly had kids in our house and babysitting kids and uh, constantly, you know. Um, the guy was, you know, just different things that, that the Lord put on this man's heart about me. You're a man that's passionate about study. Um, you'd love a good book more than a good sporting event. Sure. Cover to cover. That's where you run. But yeah, that's, I hate not finishing a book. Um, so, yeah. Another thing the lady said that, um, she, you know, she doesn't know my background. Or, you all know I was a nurse for 18 years. Um, she, she said, almost see like a helping profession, medical or allied medical. Well, I've been a registered nurse since 2001. Um, the Lord wants to encourage you that you're going to continue in that. And I did. I worked for, as a nurse up until three years ago, <laughs> um, even while I was on staff here. Um, okay. Should I do this? That's the story. I don't know if I, I just don't want to take all the time. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll just tell it because now y'all are all curious. Um, I'll read that last paragraph. I would say that. Okay. So this lady, uh, Ramona, the Lord had given her a picture. So I think this is, would be word of knowledge, an example of this. She said, I have a picture I've not been able to shake. A season in your life, not sure if it's literal or figurative, but a picture of you in a boat and you're paddling down the corridors of a flooded city and it's dark and it stinks and there's a heart of mercy and the heart of an evangelist and you're crying out to the Lord to save this place for a move of the spirit in this place. It wasn't knocking on your door, but you felt compelled to be there. And this was a season that marked you and the Lord used your voice and there were people pointing that were pointed to the Lord and God did things in that that you were not even aware of in that season. And this has all been part of God preparing you for things to come. Well, it's hard to tell you how much that is true uh, about how the Lord used that experience. But the particularity of it is that five years prior, one week after Katrina hit New Orleans, I went back to New Orleans with my family and met with a couple guys. And we took a small boat and paddled into the city while there was still eight feet of water. And it smelled horribly. And once again, I had experienced such a burden for that city and prayed that the Lord would do great and mighty things there. And I felt compelled to be there. And even though I'm not there, this stunningly accurate vision was a keen reminder that the Lord knows and saw that and was a part of that. And he was working during that time. And he was doing things that I have still yet to see. And, uh, and then she went on. So that, that was the accuracy of that thing. So after she said that, the next thing was, he's using all of this. There's not one wasted moment. Your education was not a waste. It's going to be a unique part of how God uses you to serve people. And um, that has been so true. Anyway, I could go on and on. Just a lot of, you know, what this is, 
hope what you're seeing is just that experience of being the Goodwin analogy of picking up the child and you, the child feels a sense of the father's personal, particular knowledge of him and love for him. Um, and the result was not that I was impressed with these people or anything like that. The result was an overwhelming sense of God's love for me. God met me in a, in a pronounced way with his presence and his power. And it was, it was definitive uh, for me. So, uh, I mean, that, that's one example of that. Um, dreams. I've had two of those that I could tell you about that just woke up weeping as the Lord just, I believe, spoke to me in a dream. Um, not like, you're going to have a million dollars one day. Not anything like that. Just impressed upon me his acceptance and approval of me in just a powerful way. Wasn't looking for it. Wasn't even asking for it. Just God just did it. And um, hasn't happened in a, in a while. And that's okay. But I, I want to be open to these things. I want to say, Lord, where do you want me to experience more of you in my life? I don't want to close you off to, to the, the realm of my felt experience, but God wants to meet us there as well. So, okay. Yeah, what do you think? About this thing. Um, and Patty, so this would be when you're talking about prophecy. So, there, you know, there's a fourth telling which 1 Corinthians 14 would speak of as speaking words that are for the edification, comfort, consolation, you know, encouragement of the person, which ultimately just, I think, boils down to what you're saying is that I, I told our elders not too long ago, sometimes I almost feel like I have to apologize to God to experience, I should know he loves me. Why should I need another evidence of it, you know, and um, I think that Lord loves to give reminders of his love in very unique and personal ways that really are supernatural. You know, they're gospel, they're all gospel. It's all founded on the gospel, but they're so timely, right? So there was a situation that happened with Jan and I that that was not, it was both foretelling in the fact that God met us at that moment in his love, but is also predictive, is also foretelling because. We were in New Orleans, and uh, <laughs> uh, we'd been married, I don't know, gosh, been married five years, and for three years, we'd been trying to have kids, and nothing was happening, and I was leading a Bible study of young adults, and and the guy that was leading worship, he stopped leading worship, and he said, you know, I just feel like I have a word from the Lord uh, for our group today, and it was this, he said, I know you've been praying for Billy and Jan to have a baby, and I feel like this is the word from the Lord. The Lord wants us to stop praying for them to have a baby. And I'm going, why don't you keep singing? I don't like, this is not from the Lord. Stop praying for them to have a baby and to start thanking him for what he's already done. Well, I don't... I, all I was experiencing is, God, thank you that you care. That's all I got out of that. You know, thank you that you care. You love us. You see where we are. You're in control, right? And I need to be thanking you more than I'm just asking things from you. You know, that's how I got out of it. I need to be more thankful. So a few weeks go by and I come home from work 
and Jan says, oh, there's a package in the living room for you. So I go and open it, and in, inside the package, there's a Cabbage Patch doll that looks something eerily like me, um, a baseball glove, a children's Bible, and a package of diapers. In a... <laughs> <laughs> Remember George Bailey and It's a Wonderful Life? Are you on the nest? You know, I mean, what? Is, she starts crying. I start crying. She says, I'm pregnant. And, I, and she said, no, no. She said, that's awesome, but you got to understand something. I, I tracked out my due date, and my due date is nine months from the day that this man gave that word. Nine months from that day. And then she went to the doctor. The doctor confirmed that was the due date. Our son was born on his due date, nine months from the day that that word was given. So for five generations, we've called the firstborn boy William. And so we were, people were saying, well, what are you, you going to call him? You're Billy. And you kind of, it's be weird to call him Bill. You know, it sounds like he's older than his dad or something. And so we called him Will because he was the will of God for our lives. So that was both a foretelling in terms of predictive, but it was foretelling. All I was mainly aware of was God loves me. And then the predictive element was, was just like a nice surprise. It was like, you know, I, so I wasn't, I wasn't in love with the outcome. I was in love with my God mm -hmm. because he made himself known to me, you know? So it's just maybe just another kind of a thing that it can be predictive too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I have a short one and I'll stop and we'll go to Q&A, but uh, when I was uh, graduating high school and about to go to the mission field for a whole summer um, and Daniette was on the horizon as somebody in a far off distant land that I couldn't get my mind off of and uh, trying to figure out what to do about that, um, shared that with my parents, just graduated high school, so I'm 17. And, um, and I said, I'm going to take a week and uh, pray and fast. Just, I've got a lot of direction stuff to be praying about. And where am I going to go next? And what am I going to do? And what about this relationship? And I'm, and I'm, and I'm praying because you got to know, Danielle had zero interest in me, but I, I couldn't like shake her image from my head. Maybe because I carried around a picture of her in my Bible. That probably didn't help. And, uh, and uh, so I said, I'm going to take a week and pray and fast. And the, the week, I felt like the Lord gave some real clarity about direction. Um, I was going to go to Bible school. I had my room deposit paid. I had a full paid scholarship. And in the course of that prayer, I really felt led of the Lord not to do that. So I was making some big changes and that got some clarity there. But this relationship thing, I just wasn't sure. Like, Lord, what are you doing here? Is it um, is this the woman that you have for me? You know, so I took a week and prayed and fasted. Well, I come to church on Sunday. Didn't tell anybody but my parents. Come to church on Sunday and the, um, this little old lady, Jean Davidson, comes up to me. She's real, real quiet. And, uh, and she says, you have just been on my heart all week. And uh, I'm so nervous to even tell you this, but I just feel like you've been seeking the Lord about some direction in your life. I'm like, yeah, go on. <laughs> and she said, and I know that you're not somebody that dates or anything like that. And you, you don't, you don't pursue girls like that and stuff like that. I don't remember how she said it, but um, she said, I just keep thinking that you're, you're praying and seeking the Lord about a relationship, but I don't know who that could be. And I, I don't know what that, that, and I was like, yes, 
That's true. She's like, that's true. You you have been seeking the Lord about a relationship. I said, well, I took this whole week and prayed and fasted about direction. And main thing of that was a relationship. And she's like, oh, oh, that's so good to hear. Because I, I just kept getting this image that you're praying and seeking the Lord about a relationship. And of course, I said, what did he say? <laughs> and uh, the thing was, though, she didn't have any answers. She didn't have any direction. I was hoping she'd say, the Lord wants you to marry her. Uh, but that didn't happen, you know, because... As a good mature lady, she was like, no dates, no mates. Um, I don't know if she said that, but uh, but she did. The thing was, she didn't have an answer because I, I was like, yes, that's true. But the way that exchange happened is I came away uh, just blown away by God's love that God would reveal to someone else in the body of Christ a thing that is weighing me down and burdening me that I'm praying about. And just the fact that he disclosed that to her and she shared that with me, it just gave me this sense of, I'm not alone in this. God knows and he hears and there's other people in the body that he moves into prayer to pray for us when we're going through things. And that was the huge takeaway for me in that moment. And one reason that that's special, so that was in 1998. One reason that that's special is two weeks ago when I was in New Orleans for my parents' 50th anniversary, I went up to Ms. Jean and I told her, do you remember that time on the second floor at the top of the stairs when you came to me and you said this and I, and I told her the whole story and she just goes, oh, and tears start coming down her face and she said, thank you so much for telling me that. I'd forgotten about that. And I've just been wondering, Lord, can you use me still at this age of my life? Do you still speak to me? Are you still operating? And you, you sharing that with me gave me faith that the Lord can still use me. Thank you. So I'm like... <laughs> Gee, you know, and um, so I wasn't anticipating that. But even my reminding her of that reminded her that God knows and he's paying attention and he cares for her and he's using her. And um, her faith was built by that. It's just the, the beauty that prophetic ministry can be, that it's not hooky spooky and weird. Um, OK, so what questions do you have? I don't have a smooth transition to questions. So. <laughs> so I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. So like cessationists will talk about certain gifts as being sign gifts, right? Attesting to the truth of the person message of Jesus Christ. And they were for a time. Um, and then obviously continuationists believe that those still exist. But in your opinion, um, do you think that there's truth in both to where like, yes, all those gifts are still operative, but maybe you see them in different frequency and regularity in certain places where, you know, the gospel is not as accessible in certain areas versus like America. So if you go to Nepal, you go to China, you go to Iran, maybe you're going to see the gifts being more regular, more frequent in their display than they might be in yeah. the middle of the Bible belt. Not to say that God doesn't still use those, but you know, there's a difference maybe in that they are continuing, but they are also still sign gifts and, you know, operating in different frequency and regularity in places. Yeah, I think there's some merit to that. And, um, but so I do think the first half, yes, they are sign gifts. And the second half though, is why don't we need those sign gifts just as much as people in other places? And, um, and does, does the assumption that in, in the prosperous West, we don't need the sign gifts, does that, does that assume that somehow in our prosperity and in our intellect and training and education, we don't need the, the message of God's power to be validated? Um, it's like, no, we, we still need that, I think. 
Now, it doesn't address why is it the reality that it does seem to be more frequent in places where involving frontline gospel expansion, like the story I told in Nepal. That is true, uh, just, just objectively true. That does seem to be true. But the fact that it's true, I don't think should lead us to conclude that it should be true. Um, and so it's like anything else in church history, doctrinally, there are times when Certainly, there were times when something like justification by faith was not the, the hinge on which the church turned, you know, uh, when it was not heavily articulated and embraced by all. There are times when certain truths of God's word were not just flourishing in the societies. doesn't mean they shouldn't have been, but there are times when God just opens the floodgates and clarity comes and the teachings of the Bible just take off in a, in a society, in a culture. And so I do think that that uh, has, is the case on frontline gospel ministry in terms of the supernatural, but I don't know that it needs to be restricted to that. It, it anecdotally seems to be restricted to that, but there's not anything that I can think of that should lead us to say we should not expect it to be happening here too. I think we can say let's expect it and trust God if it doesn't, but from a human standpoint, the error would be in pulling back from any sense of expectation because we're not in front lines among unreached people groups. Um, but this, this whole thing has been largely shaped by, by my time in Nepal and just being around Barnabas and hearing story after story of miracle and healing and demonic possession and what? Deliverance from demonic possession. And there's just, uh, and he is so this. He is so biblical with it. And uh, we were at Pashupati Temple one year and this old lady gets in my face and she starts doing like this in Nepali and she's pointing her finger in my face and I'm, I'm like this and Barnabas is like, oh, let's just, just keep walking, you know. And so I, I'm, I'm walking and she's like getting in front of me and pointing, shaking her finger in my face. And, and I'm just like waving her off and, and kind of doing like this and working my way through the crowd. And as soon as I get past her, she's got like this paper or something in her so she's got something in her hand she starts whacking me on the arm whack and she's yelling at me whack whack and she's doing like that and i'm like what in the world and barnabas is like ah, just just keep walking and so we get down the road and finally get away from her and i'm like man what was that all about do you like do you think that was demonic possession i mean we're in the heart of hinduism just pure darkness evil oppression that you can just feel when you're in this particular place and uh, so would fully expect demonic manifestations. So I said, is that demonic right there? What was going on with that? And he's like, no, that was just mental illness. It's like, okay. You know, so <laughs> I think God gives discernment too in those situations, you know, whereas hyper charismatics tend to want to look at everything and see a demon behind it. And I think a biblical balance would recognize, well, some things may be demonic. Not everything is. And it just requires some discernment. And our brother has that, you know. And uh, so I'm still learning that, you know. I, I, I couldn't discern what it was in that moment. He could. So good question. Anybody else? Um, so how how would a cessationist put those miracles, healing, prophecy? I mean, 
because we're both in the same camp, Christian, sure, Bible believing, God's word is the authority. What does the cessationist do with those uh, trustworthy sources that are telling telling us about um, prophecy like that, predictive, and yeah, I mean. Um... If depends on who you're talking about. I mean, so I think a Shriner would would allow for the possibility of that, but caution that we should not uh, desire it, expect it, pursue it, but just be open to it and realize that it probably won't happen. Um, uh, others would 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 just approach it with a high degree of skepticism. It's contrived. It was coincidence. Um, maybe she got information through other sources and she found out about my past and she said it as if it was spontaneously revealed by the Lord, but there's no way, or, or, or it was just coincidence. Like she had this image of you paddling down a flooded city and you did paddle down a flooded city, you know, flooded city. And that's a coincidence. So they, they may explain some of that away that way. Certainly miracles, um, people have tried to explain away as mind over matter kind of stuff that, the, the height of ecstasy in the moment of being prayed for can cause certain pains to go away and, you know, physical things to happen from the uh, rush of adrenaline in the moment. And you know, it is all kinds of like naturalistic ways they might try to explain some of that. But to be fair, I mean, cessationists do, many of them do allow for the possibility of these things. And so they're not wholesale sweeping them away. Um, but I think it, I think it is. I think it's a part of the argument is to say, what do you do with real life examples of all this stuff? It can't be the basis of our argument. The basis of our argument is scripture, but scripture wedded with example and testimony, I think, is a powerful combination to say, we've we've got to got to do something with that. Um, and if any of you have come from cessationist camps and would would add to that or clarify how I'm trying to I'm trying to fairly represent the cessationist position, but it's not a one-size-fits-all either. So anything that you add, you think you'd need to be added to my answer, go ahead. I would okay. just say That's we that. can't put God in a box. Yeah. We can't tell him what he can and can't do and when he can do it and when he can't and have to be open to uh, his leading. Right, so right. We Only do this. Right. So using the, the analogy and what you're saying is the Bible does provide its own box in a sense. No, but what you're, but you're making a good point because I think what happens is uh, we, we want to say, no, the lines are here, you know, and we draw them more narrowly than the Bible does. Like we close this in and say, God can do all these things, but all these other things that are in the Bible, God's not going to do which is, I think, what you're saying, right? Yeah, that we could kind of pick and choose um, what what God can do, and we want to be careful. We want to embrace all that the Bible has for us. A lot of that comes from personal backgrounds yeah. and uh, situations that people have grown up through. Right. Uh, and totally. It does. I mean, we're, we're shaped by, by our experiences. Um, if you read many of the cessationist writings or listen to their teachings and conferences, especially more recent ones, many times um, the, the, position, the position is argued from abuses of a thing. But like we said, the abuse of a thing is never a reason to 
reject a thing. Um, many things are abused, but we want to find what is the right and biblical expression of the thing and not say because it has the potential for abuse, we should reject it wholesale. Um, that's not a good way to approach scripture. If it's in scripture, let's find the right expression of it and avoid the abuse of it. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Very good. Miss Dye? Yeah. Yeah, in the Bible, it talks where the disciples were trying to cast out a demon, and Jesus came to them and said that for some things, you have to fast and pray. And I believe that when we, because of what I'm being taught in these classes and I'm regrouping my thoughts, I was raised very charismatic. Mm. So to back up and put it where it belongs and not be sensationalism and jump at everything. But rather than just be open, sometimes it seems we need to seek. Mm. We need to more than be open but actually fast and pray to get an answer so that we will know whether it's the right thing to bring up. That's For right. instance, when I have a, something on my heart that God's put on my heart and I've, I've prayed and prayed and prayed about it. And after a length of time, you're not getting an answer. And I know you have to get deeper. I know I have to get in scripture. I need to pray about it. I need to fast about it because it says in the Bible, not if you fast, but when you fast, mm -hmm. that was Jesus's teaching. So I believe that's still true for mm -hmm. whatever length of time God deems that you should. Mm -hmm. But when I get into fasting and praying, you get a deeper, closer relationship. And I feel God enclosing his arms around me and giving me a direction that you don't get without seeking. So I think sometimes the being open isn't enough. Right. I think you have to seek. Yeah. And I don't know exactly where and when the lines are, but I know it has to be scriptural. So good. And isn't that 1 Corinthians 14, 1? So pursue love and earnestly desire. If, you know, Paul definitely could have said, Pursue love and be open but cautious to spiritual gifts or cynical and uh, scared of spiritual gifts. Um, he says earnestly desire, you know. So at, at some point, we just have to grapple with that. What do we do with that, that reply? Is, that, is our approach maybe a little bit more passive than what the Bible calls us to? And we actually have to press in and seek the Lord and say, God, I'm... I want to love your people. I want to be used by you to build up, encourage, and edify other people. Use me. I'm, I'm placing my life in your hands. I, I want to experience your nearness and your presence and your power, and I want others to experience the same thing. So, Lord, use me. Use us. Show up in our body in this way. And, I, you know, this might mean even for some of us just starting with a confession of uh, where we've put up walls to the Lord in some of these areas. And um, where we've kind of shut God out of certain aspects of our Christian experience, um, out, maybe out of fear, maybe it's well-reasoned, and um, maybe we've been hurt in the past by trying to open our hearts to some of these things. But 
Maybe the Lord wants to align your thinking with Scripture first and then help you experience the, the safety and security of opening your heart to the Lord in the realm of supernatural and, and God's presence and, and experience of his power and presence among us. And um, I think that's so good. Yeah, Alvin. I was just going to add to that um, passivity and fear um, because of my question earlier about maybe missing out on some of the power. I, I think as you've talked further, I, I do see that you, I think we're um, an, maybe where you'd be missing out, at least when I look back on my life, it's that um, in not acknowledging maybe this being the work of the Holy Spirit, you know, I, if I look back on our lives and I can clearly see ways that God was directing us through others or through particular circumstances, but in that moment, maybe just chalking it up to coincidence, mm. then you're, you can have this, this overwhelming sense of the Lord's presence, but when your mind or others might tell you, well, that's, you know, that's a crazy coincidence. Yeah. Then all of a sudden the power is removed from that. And it's just a random chance event. And so, you know, then I, I can see where along the road, maybe fear crept in. And, and so the opposite of fear is not, you know, it's not courage, it's faith. Mm -hmm. And Whereas if you had acknowledged this is clearly, you know, the power of God here leading and directing, all of a sudden your faith is, it grows and, and you're willing and you're able to move forward in, in, it's just a different walk. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And coming back to how Pastor Billy was saying about it, it brings God glory. I mean, when we recognize where he's at work and we point to it and celebrate it, it brings him glory. And if, if God is at work and we're saying, well, yeah, but there's other reasons and it's probably not God. I mean, it, it kind of, we're missing out on a chance to bring God the glory that he deserves, which grows our faith, which plants joy in our hearts when we need it. And and that's that's so much of what what we're doing. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's reminded me of this uh, scripture. If you, yeah, Ephesians 1, 18. I don't see... To give thanks to God for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. I mean, Paul is thanking God for these people and praying that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened, that they can know where God's at work and the depth of his love for them and his grace in their life. And it's easy to just not see that and not acknowledge that. And it's there and we're not, we're not recognizing it. And, and in so doing, we're missing out on opportunities to glorify God and for his, his glory to spill over onto us in the form of joy and peace and built up faith and comfort and consolation so, yep. Um, I just, uh, I think with regards to the last few comments and then bringing it back to the glory of God, um, I, and even Christian's comment with regards to where there seems to be, a, at least in story uh, time, there seems to be a more uh, frequency of these things happening somewhere else. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of that seems to be, balanced by number one, where is God going to get the most glory? 
whereas where is it going to be misconstrued uh, and 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 glorify a person instead? Um, but also, where is there the most need, like in desperation? And, I, and I've heard uh, Barnabas talk about this. I've heard other missionaries talk about this, where um, there's a there's a sense, there's a cultural sense of absolute desperation for you know just basic needs, um, and and so you might see God show up um, in spiritual giftings and things that might happen that would be more supernatural um, in that that setting because it is a desperation when you read scripture you don't see someone just just praying you see someone crying out mm -hmm. to god mm -hmm. uh, you don't see someone just mentioning suggesting lord would you do this you see someone crying out yeah. to god and then the same thing would that's not just necessarily true in a third world situation but as as you said where when the need is actually the need that like it is it is a desperation and and you didn't just stop at well i'm not hearing from god i'm not getting a revelation here well then you pressed further you said i will go without these distractions i will go without the distraction of work i will go without the distraction of this thing or that thing i will go without the distraction of food i will put all of my focus into prayer because the desperation grew it was so deep of a need and then god and maybe that was part of the whole point yeah. was to get you to that point where he's able to, to then just show up completely supernaturally and, 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 uh, and, and blow your mind away with his love in that instance. But again, in that instance, he gets all the glory, not only because he fulfilled something or he showed something, but because he brought you to the point where you needed him more than everything else. Um, and then the last thing I want to say is I love my church because, mm -hmm. uh, of, of two things, especially during this thing, during this little weekender is number one is uh, you've given a great example of what it means to be a Berean because half the books you picked up to show us were cases against what we're studying. <laughs> and that's a beautiful thing to see someone studying both sides of the argument uh, and, and then recommending, Hey, this is a good book by a guy that stands against us, but let me show you some things in it. Um, but secondly, there's been a, a, a thing where we in, in the church have, um, we used to be the ones providing the terms and the definition for the terms because they came straight from the authoritative word of God. And because culture has shifted and shifted and shifted and shifted and shifted, the church as a whole has shifted in not providing the definitions for the terms anymore. And in fact, just changing our terms because we don't want to offend anyone or we don't want to uh, seem old school or whatever. And one of the things I feel like you, the sovereign grace has said in in an indirect way is one of our missions is to just uphold yeah. and the definitions according to god's authoritative word Amen. and you let everyone be drawn to that not you go the other way yeah so i just want to say yeah. i appreciate y'all oh, for that great. i appreciate you thanks for sharing that super encouraging and uh that yeah i mean what you were saying about uh the first part of what you were saying, sorry, I just <laughs> drawn a blank. Yeah, yeah. So that's actually really instructive because uh, 
I think of this story Johnny Erickson Tata tells where she goes to a third world country and that she's greeted by the church there. And they say, welcome to our country where we need God so much because we have so little. And like when you're living in a day-to-day total dependence on the Lord, would you not expect him to be meeting you more frequently and regularly in more powerful and pronounced ways? Um, Now, from that, we can conclude, therefore, God means to pour out more of his power and presence in those places than he does here. I don't think that's the right conclusion. I think the right conclusion is, may we not be blinded by all of our abundance. And in the midst of whatever blessing and abundance we have, our heart posture should be just as desperate. We should be just as much pleading and crying out to the Lord and seeking his face continuously. Because if we do, then we should expect God to respond to that the same way he responds to them. And, um, and we don't know, it, but, but sure, by and large, I mean, categorically, like the broader church, how much of that is happening? Probably less here than it is there. So that's why we, we might broadly see it less here than we do there. But the instructive is, I want to say, when I go to Nepal and I see these believers and their faith in God and their constant dependence on God, the depth of their gratitude for their salvation and rescue out of dead religion, and all, when I see that, I'm going, I should have that. I don't have to grow up in their culture to have that. I have the same God, the same gospel, the same Jesus saved me, and I was under the same wrath they were under. Why don't I have that? And it, it compels me, you know. Same instruction as the Israelites got before they entered the promised land. You know, when you get here and you're living in houses, you didn't build in cisterns, you didn't, you know, right. You know, when you had to depend on me for daily Amen. Yeah. So it's a great place to be is total dependence on him. And I think the more we cast ourselves upon the Lord and ask him to meet us and to move among us and cry out to him and open our hearts to him and pursue love for the body and all of these things, I think God's not going to stiff arm us in that. Um, and so as long as we have the, the, as long as we are understanding the biblical categories and know where those rails are, and that's our, that's our guidance, that's the path that we're running in. I think it's it's safe to pursue these things, and um, and the Lord will answer that. So, Pastor Billy, did you you said you wanted to close with something? Well, it's, it's twelve twelve, so probably need to wrap it. Well, the first is that I think the Holy Spirit has put a phrase on my heart that might uh, might be an encouragement to somebody. You know, I, I think one of the things we most frequently encounter is, you know, somebody can look at this academically, but still kind of disqualify themselves from being used by the Lord in spiritual gifts. And so this is a phrase that I just, I think maybe the Holy Spirit put on my heart to uh, maybe encourage you is that kind of a thought typically would be reflective of, well, the Holy Spirit couldn't use me in spiritual gifts because really I have low self-esteem. I think the real problem is you have low spirit esteem. God loves you. He paid the highest price possible to make you his child. He's given you the greatest gift you could ever hope for in salvation. Of course, he wants to use you in spiritual gifts. 
so 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 the issue is it's low spirit esteem it's it's not understanding how the lord loves you and how the lord wants to love others through you so i don't know if that helps anybody here in the room it's maybe live stream and maybe just i had some bad coffee this morning um if that didn't apply to anybody but Dolly, i think you know you really would were used by the Lord to want to really bring us to a close by seeking. And so just some thoughts. I've just been scribbling down some different thoughts. Um, you know, so make sure we know what we're, what we're not seeking. Gifts are not an end in themselves. So we're not seeking gifts as an end of themselves, but they are a means of grace toward the goal of edification for others and the experience of God's love for the glory of God. So that, that's what we're seeking. And here's just some practical ways to be thinking about that. Um, so pursue God himself. God, God we're going to follow hard after you. You know, early in the morning, I will rise up and no, I'm, I'm sitting there. So it says that. Yeah, I'm, I'm writing worship music right now. Actually, I'm, I'm uh, just remembering it. Um, soak in scripture. But, but as you do, not just for yourself, would you, would you soak in Scripture and then say, Lord, is there someone else that you would want to encourage through this? You know, Start with your spouse. Start with your kids. Uh, Saturday nights. I mean, Tuesday mornings. Lord, is there something for my church family that you'd want to bring encouragement to others uh, to do? Um, pray. Just pray. For God, please use me to edify your people through the scripture and the gifts. Just would you use me, God? Here am I. So I think it's being intentional. Lord, please use me. Pray for God to grow your love for your church family. Lord, help my love for my church family to grow. Be, continually be praying for the filling of the, of the Holy Spirit. And then here's just a, just a little practical thing. You know, discipleship groups are an amazing, wonderful place to exercise spiritual gifts. Just a smaller environment. It's much more personal. Um, you're getting to know those people. And there's, you know, it's just a good context for that. But what about on a Sunday morning? So you, we talked about if you feel like maybe there's a word that, it, that would encourage our church publicly come up to any one of the elders, Alan or, or Hugh or to me, and we'll talk about it. We're your safety net, okay? <laughs> you know, don't be, don't be afraid. Don't be shy. Um, let's do this together. You know, this is, this is a corporate thing. This is a local, this is a body ministry. And, and in that, remember, like the last time uh, Danette shared a word, uh, she actually brought that to us earlier in the week. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't have to be that moment on Sunday morning, right, it right. could be sooner and just yeah. begin to bounce it off of leadership. Let's talk about it. Cause we'd love for God to speak to us through anyone in our body. Yeah, yeah. So that's another possibility. Too. For sure. And then the last thing, this is probably the, the least utilized part of Sunday morning is uh, I think the first 10 minutes after dismissal are the most, uh, that's not really, are probably the most spiritually wasted 10 minutes of the morning. Um, I don't know that we should even think of it as a dismissal as much as a, a direction. I, I don't know, I wish there was a ways to say it, but Lord, it, as, as I'm with the gathered body, 
Lord, please send me to who I can encourage today. Lord, just use me to encourage people. You know, please, I, I, I want, I want it. I'm here for edification, both on the receiving end and on the giving end. So even those last 10 minutes, God, is there someone I can care for today? Is there somebody I can express love to? And don't be surprised that God would join that, you know, with a word of encouragement from Scripture or a timely word. It might be a word of wisdom, insight, who knows what. But we're just at least putting ourselves in a position of availability, you know, to the Lord. So. Yep. Sunday mornings also uh, nights of worship and prayer. We try to do three or four of those a year. We're talking about having one coming up as well. I think of one a couple of times ago when Rachel, uh, Rachel had a word uh, that, that evening for us. And, you know, so that's another context, um, just another gathering where we want to be listening to, to see how the Lord might want to speak to and encourage somebody. So I'll close this in prayer. Um, I do have this last thing. If in case, One thing we didn't deal with is um, the argument of when the perfect comes from 1 Corinthians 13, the partial will pass away. So... Um, not many people, people used to use that to argue for cessationism, but even the, the best cessationists no longer use that argument. So it's, even my paper here is a bit dated with contemporary issues on the subject. But if you've wondered, how does that play? What about when it says, when the perfect comes, the partial passes away? Does that mean that prophecies, when it says, and prophecies will cease? I mean, First Corinthians 13 says that, prophecies will cease. Um, so what do we think about that? You can pick up that paper. And that um, that goes through that argument. Um, so if it's confusing, prophecies will cease. Did you know that? They will. They will. The Bible says they will. When the perfect comes, <laughs> which is the final day when we see him face to face and we no, no longer need any of the gifts because we'll be with him for all eternity. Let's pray. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The gift of administration at work and serving. Lord, thank you so much for this time and these folks. Um, I pray that we would all, Lord, press into you more than we have up to this point, just because we want to be Christians who are growing and becoming more and more in line with what you've shown us in Scripture and looking to you to show up and do things that maybe we have not personally seen or experienced, but we read about them in the Bible and we want you to receive more glory, your people to experience your love, your presence, your power. And um, Lord, may we just grow in these things and may we trust you in the process and in the duration that it takes to come to pass as we look to you, Lord. So thank you for this time. Bless the rest of our day in Jesus name. Amen.